I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 this morning. We're commencing a study of Christ's parables, and we're considering in two introductory questions, or messages, questions that will orient us toward our study of the parables. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 17, and then we're going to ask God's help, and we'll do a review, and then we'll plunge in this morning. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And great multitudes gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell upon the rocky places, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return. And I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And we'll end our reading there. Let's pray together. Our Father, solemn words are these. Might you open our ears to hear, might you open our eyes to see, might you open our hearts to receive the truth, even the truth that believed saves, give ears to us. Lord, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so we pray that you would open stopped ears, that they might hear the voice of the shepherd, calling them to himself, 
granting them the faith to believe and the faith to repent, to turn away from sin and to turn to Jesus Christ. And to those here who know the Lord, we pray that they might come to know Him better, appreciate Him more heartily, follow Him more fervently, seek to praise Him in every aspect of their lives. Oh God, hear us, that we might hear You. Speak to us, that we might be servants who run with the truth in the direction of holiness and ultimately toward heaven. Singing your praises, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we asked and answered two of three questions, introductory questions. First of all, what are the parables? Or what are parables? And then we considered a definition of them We considered the difference in parables, that is, the difference between parables and fables and myths of men. And then we looked at the details of the parables, those things that we must uh, understand to properly interpret them. And that brings us to our second question that we looked at, how do we rightly interpret parables? And we saw that we rightly interpret parables by carefully uh, regarding the meaning of Jesus' words in their historical context. Secondly, we rightly interpret the parables by discovering their main theme. Each one of them has at least a main theme and other perhaps subordinate themes. And then we rightly interpret the parables as we learn lessons about God's kingdom. The parables of the Lord Jesus Christ predominantly teach about the kingdom of God. Now this morning we come to consider our third question And it is, why did Christ sometimes preach in parables? If you have a handout, you'll see these texts there right underneath that question. Matthew 13 and verse 3, we read this. And he spoke many things to them in parables. And in verse 34 of Matthew 13, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables. And then if you were to look at Mark, the parallel account, we read in verses 33 through 35 of chapter 4, and with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter hidden things since the foundation of the world. And then we see the disciples' question in verse 13 of Matthew, or chapter 13, verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak? To them in parables. And so we're seeking to answer that question this morning. Why did our Lord teach the multitudes with parables? While with the disciples in private, he spoke more plainly, as well as explaining to them the meaning of the parables. Well, the answer to this question, as we will see, teaches us profound truth about God and about men. It teaches us that it is God's sovereign prerogative to reveal truth, however, 
and to whomever he wishes. And it also teaches us about our responsibility to hear, and also our inability to receive and understand divine truth without God's assistance. He must open our ears before we're going to hear. You see, apart from God's illuminating grace, no person, not you, not I, not anyone, is able to understand and benefit from divine truth. We are natural men that perceive not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to us. Jesus delighted in revealing divine truth, and he delighted in God's distinguishing grace. Remember how he praised his Father's sovereign mercy after receiving the report of the 70 disciples whom he had dispatched two by two. They'd come back and they gave a report at the end of their preaching mission. And we see Jesus' response to that report in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent, and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. What a powerful statement of praise from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ on the absolute sovereignty of God here expressed in hiding or revealing the truth to some or to others. But it was right on the heels of this that the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 11 and verse 28, right after this ascription of the sovereign will of God in revealing and concealing His word, Come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we see right there, Jesus praising the sovereign, sovereignty of God in revealing and concealing the truth. And then he calls to men that are heavy laden and weary in their sin to come to him. Though God is free to reveal or to conceal his truth as he wills, we are still responsible before God to hear and to heed the truth. Just because God is sovereign doesn't mean that we don't have the responsibility to hear the truth. Let us therefore heed our Lord's exhortation, Luke 8 and verse 18. Therefore take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him shall more be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Jesus didn't just speak those words to his original audience. He speaks them to us, to you and to me. So these crucial truths about God's sovereignty and our responsibility in mind, let us seek this morning to answer our final introductory Question to the study of the parables. Why did Jesus preach in parables? 
notice two points before coming to some concluding application. First of all, Jesus preached in parables because they are an effective means of revealing divine truth to receptive hearers. Dear ones, Jesus, as the master teacher, as the word of the Father, as the embodiment of truth, he never played with the truth. He was always dead serious in his preaching. And so he communicated in a matter, in a manner calculated to bring truth home to the consciences of men, to both saints and to sinners alike. He preached in parables because they were especially suited to arouse his hearers' interest. His gracious purpose was to make truth palatable to ordinary people so that they might see the meaning bound up and hidden in his analogies. So notice, notice, first of all, parables arouse the interest of receptive hearers. Brethren, let's face it, many of us, for many of us, abstract truth tends to be uninteresting. Jesus knows that we are basically lazy between the ears. We don't like to think deeply. We avoid breaking a mental sweat. But all of us enjoy hearing stories. Stories grab our attention. In fact, we might view parables as human interest stories with a spiritual message. Parables make learning more easily understood by communicating abstract truth in homey language. We more readily understand and receive truth that we can visualize. For instance, many people find math problems boring. Maybe you're one of them. But story problems, and when you're in school, you either liked them or you hated them. Story problems may have helped you by making abstract math concepts concrete. A simple math problem may be made easier by visualizing a car traveling at such a speed over a certain distance for a given amount of time. It takes concrete terms, math terms, and it clothes it in human experience. And so we might liken parables to theological story problems. A curious hearer will desire to learn the truth behind the sower who casts seed upon different kinds of soils and witnesses various results and comes to wonder why. In another, he will listen intently to a story about a wedding feast and wonder why some are admitted and others are not. In another, He will keenly give his attention to identify the enemy who secretly sowed weeds in a wheat field. Now, who is the enemy and and what are these weeds? And so these pictures, they grab our attention. And those who have ears to hear will hear by the grace of God. Secondly, parables enhance the understanding of receptive hearers. They not only arouse the interest, they enhance the understanding of receptive hearers. The Bible teaches that never a man spoke like our Lord Jesus spoke. Unlike the scribes and Pharisees who parroted teaching from favorite rabbis, Jesus spoke with original authority, divine 
authority. Many hung upon his lips. And not only did his parables intrigue, they also instructed receptive hearers who came to understand the images behind, the truths behind the images. Case in point, you'll remember Jesus' prediction of his resurrection pictured in terms of rebuilding the temple. You tear down this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. The disciples didn't understand it at that point. But later, after the resurrection, they did understand Jesus' meaning, that God's temple is His body, its destruction is His death, and its rebuilding was His resurrection. You see, parables help us to understand the truth. Thirdly, parables aid the memory of receptive hearers. Parables aid the memory of receptive hearers. We more readily remember what we can visualize. Parables are are something we might liken to Velcro. They give truth stickability. They aid our memory. It's hard to forget the images of a wayward prodigal, of a pitiful lost sheep, of wine bursting old wineskins, of a foolish man building bigger barns, of a valuable pearl found in a field, of workers sweating in a vineyard, of foolish virgins begging oil from the wise, of sheep being separated from goats, and the lessons that they teach. You see, word pictures make gospel truth vivid and memorable. The eleven apostles remember Jesus' parables and allegories. They had Velcro memories. And we noted this earlier. Read their epistles. They borrowed from Jesus' parables. They described pastors as shepherds, Christians as wayward sheep who return to their chief shepherd. They speak of the word of God as seed to And they warn of the evil fruit of false teachers, of the venom of the tongue. They liken Christians to stones, even living stones, who are united to the cornerstone, the living stone himself, Jesus Christ, and they're members of his temple, living stones. Parables aid our memory. Fourthly, parables make hard truths more palatable to receptive hearers. J.I. Packer has somewhere observed that sin makes us allergic to truth. Our depravity and rebellion against God makes us gag on the gospel. We are natural men. We are unspiritual men. We are carnal men before God regenerates us with His Spirit. And until then, we do not receive the things of the Spirit of God because Their foolishness to us. But God's grace that is greater than our sin overcomes our wicked prejudice against the truth and it makes us hungry for God's word. Before we had no relish for it, if we got it in our mouth, we wanted to spit it out. The illuminating spirit of Christ makes otherwise hard truths more easily digestible. Captivating parables are like the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. Seeing ourselves as lost sheep sought 
out by a loving shepherd or our hearts as soil that needs the seed of God's word to produce fruit in us, helps us to ponder our dreadful condition and our desperate need for the grace of God that brings salvation. Fifthly, parables teach kingdom mysteries to receptive hearers. Parables picture mysteries about the kingdom of God. One dictionary puts it this way. In the New Testament, a mystery is something that was previously hidden, but now has been revealed as part of God's saving activity. You see, the kingdom of God is just such a mystery. It's spoken of in places in the Old Testament to incite interest, but it's not truly revealed until Jesus speaks about it many times in his parables. The kingdom of God is God's rule over the people of God and the entire created order. In fact, David in the Old Testament anticipates Jesus' teaching about the expansiveness of God's kingdom. We read in Psalm 103 and verse 19, what David says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty, or your Bible translation might read, or His kingdom rules over all. And Jesus in His parables unpacks that truth. The most expansive teaching in the Old Testament about the kingdom of God is found in the book of Daniel. Jesus is the Son of Man whose coming is predicted by Daniel. And much of Jesus' teaching about the miracles of God's, the mysteries of God's kingdom is found in his parables. You see, Jesus is the king who extends his rule in this world by the advancement of his kingdom. The full and final expansion of his kingdom will not be realized until he returns when he raises the dead and judges the living and the dead and then inaugurates the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. The fulfillment of all the kingdom promises in their glory. And indeed, are we not to pray, Thy kingdom come. And while we are to pray for the coming of Jesus' kingdom, His parables teach us a number of things. They teach us not to be depressed and distressed about the apparent failure of the church in the meantime. Not to be alarmed, but rather to expect that men are going to secretly enter in and they're going to corrupt the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Still other parables warn us about what kind of treatment we should expect from those who are not in God's kingdom, that is, the sphere of salvation. So that we do not adopt a defeatist attitude. Parables teach us to be encouraged because through the kingdom of Satan, though it grows, the kingdom of God will prevail and one day that kingdom will fill the entire earth. The same apostle who warns us that it is through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God promised in no uncertain and even glorious terms that we shall overcome by the grace of Christ our loving and our triumphant King. Paul doesn't mention the word kingdom here, but the idea is suffused at the end of Romans chapter 8. 
Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus preached parables because they're an effective means of revealing divine truth to receptive hearers. But notice, secondly, that Jesus preached in parables because they're an effective means of hiding divine truth from unreceptive hearers. That first point is easier to receive. The second may be more difficult. Brethren, let us remember that Jesus' parables reveal His gracious purpose. He came to seek and to save, and by His parables He urges sinners to inquire into their meaning. You're saying this, what does it mean? But His parables also confirm those who will not inquire in their willful blindness. Parables are a two-edged sword, you see. They cut in two directions. So let us take a step back and notice how Matthew introduces Jesus' parables in Matthew 13. First, he presents the historical context, verses 1 through 3a, and actually verse 1 even points back to the previous context. In that day, what day? Well, I think he's looking backwards to the immediately preceding historical context, and we'll look at that. In another message. Second, Jesus utters the parable of the soils, exposing how his message is differently received by various kinds of hearers. The second part of verse 3 through verse 8. Third, Jesus exhorts his listeners to carefully consider his teaching. Verse 9. In verse 10, the disciples ask Jesus why he speaks to the multitudes in parables. Fourth, before explaining the meaning of the parable of the soils in verses 18 through 23, our Lord in verses 9 through 15 answers the disciples' question and explains his reason for preaching to the multitudes in parables while reserving his plain instruction for his close disciples. And then in verses 16 and 17, Jesus points out the great privilege that belonged to his disciples because... In his parables, they see and hear what former saints and prophets longed to see and hear, but didn't. So let's return to verses 11 through 15 and summarize Jesus' answer to his inquisitive disciples' question. Why do you speak to them in parables? First, in verse 11, our Lord points out their exclusive privilege to understand the parables of God's kingdom taught in his parables over his other hearers. 
He answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Second, in verse 12, Jesus teaches his receptive disciples that they will be given more light, while unreceptive hearers will lose even what light they have. For whoever has to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance, but whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. You'll receive more light, and what they think they have, what light they have, will be taken away from them. Verse 13, the Lord teaches that those who refuse to hear and see the truth, who are content with darkness, will remain in darkness. And Jesus will continue to speak even though they refuse to see and hear. He's not going to give up on them, though they've given up on Him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And brethren, here we behold both the kindness and severity of God. Fourthly, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus explains that the unreceptivity of the masses in Israel was prophesied in Isaiah and it was being fulfilled right before their eyes. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand, and you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. We see right away, they had a responsibility to heed what they heard, but they didn't. So in verses 14 and 15, Jesus explains that the unreceptivity of the masses was prophesied. It's being fulfilled right before their eyes. And brethren, what a terrible prophecy it is since the continued rejection by the masses portends their final impenitence and their ultimate destruction. They're privileged to hear, but what did they do with what they heard? They stuck their fingers in their ears, their hands over their eyes, turned their heart away from the, from the message of truth and salvation. Now, as we ponder this mysterious and sometimes difficult truth, let us be reminded of these foundational truths taught elsewhere in the Bible and underscored in Jesus' words here. First, no sinner deserves to come to the knowledge of the truth. We are rebels against God. We don't deserve light. We deserve eternal darkness. What we deserve from God is justice. No man, none of us, not you, not me, not even Jesus' original disciples deserved mercy. Left to ourselves, we love darkness and hate light, and without the new birth, we will not come to Jesus that we might be saved. That's the terrible truth. What did Jesus say in John 3, verses 19 through 21? And this is the judgment 
that the light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. That explains why they hated the light and they loved the darkness. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. They don't want their deeds exposed by the gospel. They want to stay away from the light of the gospel because it exposes their wickedness. That's the kind of people we are by fallen nature. That's the way we were born into this world. It's not pretty, but the Bible always tells us the truth. That any sinner comes to the light is because God overcomes his native blindness and willful rebellion and draws him to Jesus. Coming to the knowledge of the, of the truth is all of God's grace. It is due to his sovereign choice and overcoming power. What did Jesus say? John 6 and verse 44. No man can. He doesn't have the ability. No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 6 and verse 65. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. And those words were so hard that many of his professed disciples turned on their heels and walked no longer with him. If Jesus has drawn us to himself and opened our eyes to see the truth, we have nothing in ourselves to brag about. Ah, it's just my wit and my wisdom. We might not come out and say it, but we might stick our thumbs in our lapels and say, well, I came to Jesus and he didn't. I embraced the truth and he didn't. Brethren, we receive what we don't deserve purely from the hand of bestowing grace. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. For who regards you as superior? He's being very kind. He's saying, you guys regard yourselves as superior. Well, who regards you as superior? And what do you have that you did not receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Second, Jesus hides life-giving truth from those who have no desire to receive him or to receive his truth. He doesn't hold people back that are coming to him. No, Jesus says, come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He won't turn away any that come to him. He never holds them at arm's length. He's always beckoning to them, and he beckons to them through these parables. Jesus said to the unreceptive Pharisees and scribes, what we read in John 5 and verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these, these scriptures, that bear witness of me. They point to me. You should see me as the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament prophecies. Did they come? What did Jesus say in verse 40? And you are unwilling to come to me that you might have life. There's an allergy again against the truth and against the truth teller, even he who is incarnate truth. Third, Jesus' hiding of truth from the unreceptive is his just judgment for their rejection of truth. 
This prophecy of Isaiah, initially fulfilled in Jesus' ministry, has its continual application down to our present day in those who stop their ears to the word of God. I will not hear this man's word. In closing our exposition, I want to read the words of Mr. Spurgeon, who observes God's judgment upon the unreceptive. They had deadened their own faculties. Perversity and sin had made them heartless and deaf and blind to all spiritual things. Thus they blocked up the way of salvation against themselves and used their utmost diligence to prevent their own conversion. It was but just that the truth should reach them in a manner which would condemn rather than convert. If it had come in any other form but the parabolic, they would not even have deigned to listen to it. In that form, truth would have been more clearly seen than in any other if they had been willing to see it. But as they were unwilling, the emblem, that is the parable, became a dark lantern shutting the light from them. He says, if men willfully close their eyes, the very light shall blind them. Thus, when the Lord passes any by, it is due to their sin. And when he chooses any, it is not because they are better, but that he may make them better. This passage teaches that the possession of faculties is a small thing unless we fitly use them. Men should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. If they will turn to Christ, He will heal them, even of gross hearts and dull ears and closed eyes. But alas, there is a generation which will not be converted, for they are proud of their blindness and grossness. There's not any exaggeration in any single syllable of what Spurgeon said. So that brings us to a few concluding words of application. The most obvious, I believe, is this. Plead with God to give you ears to hear and receive His word. There may be some here that are gospel-hardened. They've heard the gospel for so long that it's hardened their hearts because they've never received it. They've never run to Jesus and been saved. Brethren, we truly benefit from teaching of the parables and from all the rest of the Word of God only as we have ears to hear. Oh God, give me ears. Take the fingers of unbelief out. Break them off my hands so I can't put them back in there again. Soften this hard heart. It's impenetrable. I want to feel the arrows of your word convicting me. Take away my blind eyes. Pluck them out. Put seeing eyes into my head. You see, spiritually speaking, we are born deaf. And worse yet, we turn our ears away from Christ when he speaks We're suicidal spiritually. We won't run to the remedy. We run from it. 
If you knew you were sick, wouldn't you go to the doctor? That's why Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It's not those that are whole that need a physician, but those that are sick. We have to see ourselves as we really are. We must have ears if we would hear Christ's word. And therefore we need the Spirit of Christ to open our deaf ears. You see, without the Holy Spirit giving us new ears, even the gracious words of Jesus Christ are but a dead letter to us. He must clothe them with power before they'll enter our hearts and save us. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How many hear the spoken word of Jesus Christ who yet remain none the better but only worse? What a terrible tragedy. That is preventable. Jesus has come to me and I will no wise cast you out. So let us plead with God for hearing ears. Secondly, beware of any hearing of Christ's word that doesn't lead to obedience to him. We are to hear and to heed his word. We're not just to entertain it, chew on it, spit it out. Jesus uttered a parable of two houses, or two house builders, in which he contrasts the one who hears the word only with the one who hears and then acts upon what he hears. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. You know it. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock, the rock of hearing and heeding, of hearing the words and acting upon them. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. You could hear that thing come crashing down and the waves swept it away. We have pictures of this every time we have a hurricane. Tornadoes, natural disasters. We think we're safe with hearing. We're not safe with hearing without also heeding. Natural man that looks at his face in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what manner of man he is, he's worse off than he was before he heard it. Because he sees all of his blemishes and yet he becomes content. Well, brethren, this is such a stark passage. Christ intends that we hear it. You see, hearing without heeding only hardens the heart. And such hardening portends destruction. Solomon says in Proverbs 29 and verse 1, 
A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will be suddenly broken without remedy. Broken without remedy. All the king's horses and all the king's men won't be able to put him back together again. He did it to himself. He brought it upon himself. The day of grace was upon him. The Son of God's grace was upon him. And yet he ran into darkness. As they said later, we will not have this man to reign over us. The writer to the Hebrews describes with dreadful language what it means to be broken without remedy after hearing and refusing to embrace Christ in his word. Hebrews 10, verses 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Oh, may this not speak of you or speak of me. Jesus calls to you. He says, come to me. Go to him. Because if you run from Christ, you're running into hell. Thirdly, if God has given you ears to hear, bless his merciful name by continuing to hear and heed his word. Most who heard Jesus' parables remained unchanged. They didn't have ears to hear. And so today, many are on the wide road that leads to destruction. Few find the narrow road that leads to life. But if God has given you a new heart to receive the truth, ears to hear it, eyes to see it, thank God it's not because of your own wisdom. It's because of God's mercy. Let us not be patting ourselves on the back with a hand of pride. No, it's God in His kindness has enabled us to see these things. Bless God if you're among those. It is by God's unmerited grace in Christ alone and nothing good in you that has given you new ears and a new heart. Titus 3, verses 3 through 7, and I'll close with Paul's words here. For we also were once foolish ourselves. We were just like these carnal Cretans that you live with. You were once a part of them. You were no better than, you might have been worse than the rank and file of them. For we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Ah. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy 
by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we may be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Are you included in those verses? Can you say, that's what I used to be in those early verses? Now, in the later verses, that's what I am. And what's made the difference is the grace of God. Bless God if that's the case. And if you can't see yourselves in the latter part, and you're described honestly and accurately in the former verses, not as having been that way, but being that way even now, there's room at the cross for you. Say, Lord, give me the feet of faith in Jesus and repentance for my sin. Enable me to run to the cross to believe upon Jesus and be saved. He came to save sinners like you and like me. He didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call garden variety sinners like you and me to come to him and to be saved. Happy for time. Happy for eternity. Oh, that God would work in your heart this day and hear the voice of the shepherd calling you to himself. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, might we hear the, the voice of the shepherd even through the stammering lips of a man. Might he perfect praise in the hearts of his people and might he inject praise to himself for the first time in the hearts of those who have been strangers to him. Oh, Lord, make many in this room this day trophies of the grace of Christ, many who are living in sin and, and thinking that they're liberated to know that they're truly shackled and if they look to Jesus and be saved, to know him shall set them free. And for those who are your own people, we pray that you would make these truths precious to our hearts, open our ears wider so that we might more readily hear and to move our hearts to love and our feet to walk in the ways of Jesus' commandments. Show that you have saved us by the way that we live. By the way that we live, might we be advertisements, living epistles of your grace to those who are without hope and without God in this world, that they might come and ask us for the reason for the hope that's within us, and we might be able to point them to Jesus Christ the willing and able Savior of sinners. For we pray this in His blessed name. Amen.